We're getting there. We are getting there. Friend of the show, Brandon Lawson, one of the minions, tweeted me a week ago with a fair question. Why isn't this show higher on iTunes? I can't find it. I have to search for Roto Underworld. I should be able to search for fantasy football and find this show. It's one of the best fantasy football shows, so why isn't it showing up when I type in fantasy football? Great question, Brandon. Great question. I was asking myself the same thing. We do not solicit iTunes reviews on this show or on social media. If you want to go rate it on iTunes, fine. Go ahead. If you don't, fine. Give us the five stars. No, don't give us the five stars. Rate us what you want to rate us. If you like the show, give it five stars. If you hate the show, give it one star. I'm fine with all of that. I don't want to rig the system on iTunes. I just want the show to show up on a list of 20 podcasts when you search for fantasy football because I think we're one of the top 20 fantasy football podcasts. That's not an arrogant statement. I think that's just so. So the writers for Player Profiler submitted reviews that they hadn't yet. We made some changes to our profile, added the word fantasy football, and voila! Voila! We're now the number four show on iTunes when you search for fantasy football. Hello! I have no idea how the iTunes algorithm works, but I appreciate everyone that has submitted a review because I'm pretty certain that helps. The fantasy footballers have over a thousand reviews. <laughs> what? So they are number one by leaps and bounds, probably. But if you would like to help make the show more popular, the best way to do it is to go to iTunes and submit a review. If you listen to the show on Stitcher, go to Stitcher and submit a review there. This is the first and last time that I will be soliciting iTunes reviews on the air. And if you want to introduce someone to the show for the first time, the best way to do it is not to play them a show. Go to the Roto Underworld YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, type in Roto Underworld Radio, and you'll see we've updated our Roto Underworld radio channel on YouTube. And you can handpick a three-minute clip to play for your friend and say, hey, this is the show I listen to. This is why I listen to it, because he speaks the truth about Player X. And you can go here if you want to hear something he says about player Y that I adamantly disagree with because it's fine. You don't have to agree with everything I say as long as I'm saying things that are interesting, that make you think. That's my only job. My job is to entertain you or to make you think. That's it. It's those two things. Be entertaining or be interesting. And finally, we have a show t-shirt and sweatshirt program. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcasts, and you can see on the right-hand side, learn more about becoming an official minion or official buzzard. And if you sign up, you get an official Roto Underworld t-shirt or sweatshirt at the end of the season, and you can choose whether you're on Team Minion or Team Buzzard. It's funny, many of you have signed up for this, and the percentage of Minion versus Buzzard is 98% Minion, 2% Buzzard. I don't understand this. I know a lot more of you 
are buzzards than you are self-identifying. I see you, buzzards. I see you wearing minion clothes, wearing a minion disguise. I see you walking around like the other minions, just waiting to fire off another rage-soaked email to me. And, and you can email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com or on Twitter at Roto Underworld. And as usual, we did get a buzzard email this week. And this buzzard email is brought to you by FF Draft Prep. You know the metrics, you know the players you want, but what you really need is a draft day command center. And that's where FF Draft Prep comes in. You pick the data points that you want to display, and it even helps you anticipate the picks of the owners around you while being constantly aware of the best available players at every position. FF Draft Prep changes the game. So go there, enter the promo code DIEHARDS and receive a 20% off and arm yourself with a tool you need to make fast, intelligent decisions while on the clock. No more panic picks. No more bad drafts with the FF Draft Prep experience. Buzzard writes in... Every person you interview on Football Diehards thinks Dante Moncrief is the next Allen Robinson. Is there another choice? Yes, there is another choice. And no, it's not Doriel Green Beckham, as some of you have proposed. No. I don't have Doriel Green Beckham as a starter. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash depth dash charts. And there you will see the Tennessee Titans depth chart. Number one, Kendall Wright. Number two, Rashard Matthews. Doral Green Beckham did not practice with the first team during minicamp. He's not at the top of the depth chart yet. He's not even technically a starter. They signed Rashard Matthews to a relatively lucrative contract for a player with his resume because they envision him as a starter. And Kendall Wright has been a starter for three years. So they're not going to bench their perennial starter and they're not going to bench their new free agent toy. That means Doral Green Beckham will be coming off the bench. So I know Doral Green Beckham has the size and speed that we like. He has that Des Bryant quality. If you watch his film from Missouri, he goes up and snatches balls over cornerbacks in a very Des Bryant style. The stylistic biased lens through which we watch players on Saturday and Sunday, tells us Doyle Green Beckham looks like the next Allen Robinson who was the next Des Bryant, but the metrics say otherwise. Allen Robinson has an 80th percentile agility score. Doral Green Beckham's agility score, 1134, 31st percentile. So Doral Green Beckham, even though he's 6'5", he only has a 1005, 59th percentile catch radius because he has bottom quarter percentile burst and below average agility. You'd like your big X receiver to have at least vertical burst or lateral agility. You'd like him to have one or the other. To me, having neither is problematic. That's the Brandon Coleman archetype. Brandon Coleman, above average height adjusted speed score, bottom percentile burst and agility. Those are the workout metrics of a scarecrow at the NFL level, not the next Allen Robinson. Doyle Green Beckham's college dominator, 31.8%. That was average. Yards per reception, 15.0. Average. Breakout age, 20.4. Average. His production premium as a rookie, plus 1.0. Average. His target premium, negative 2.2%. Average. Yards per target, 8.2. 40th in the league. Average. But his catch rate, 47.8%. Well below average. So Doriel Green Beckham is average 
across most metrics unless he's well below average in the case of his catch rate on the field last year and in the case of his burst score at the combine the year before. If you only have one metric other than your height, other than your height and weight in which you're well above average, in this case, Doral Green Beckham does have a 40 time that's well above average, 449, but that's it. Outside of his stature, he has one metric that's impressive. That's not the makings of the next Allen Robinson. Dante Moncrief's metrics, on the other hand, across the board, 90th percentile plus, 40 time, height adjusted speed score, burst score, catch radius. Only his agility score is below average. And from his college dominator to his breakout age to his college yards per reception, either above average or well above average. He's a young ascending receiver who was the most efficient receiver on the field for the Colts last season. Evidenced by his plus 12.5% target premium, which was top 30 in the league. And when Andrew Luck was under center in the beginning of the year, Andrew Luck was locked in on Dante Moncrief, just like Blake Bortles was locked in on Allen Robinson. Week one, 11 targets. Week two, eight targets. Week three, seven targets. Week four, nine targets for Dante Moncrief with Andrew Luck throwing passes while sharing a field with T.Y. Hilton and Andre Johnson. That's impressive. Remember, Andrew Luck is like a computer behind the offensive line. He's scanning the field, looking for the correct matchup, looking to find who's open. Then he is slinging the ball to the open player. That's how Andrew Luck is wired to play the game of football. He throws a lot of passes, so he throws more interceptions than players like Russell Wilson that throw a lot less passes. But people that know football know that Andrew Luck's mental processing is elite. His decision-making is elite. But he has been suffering under suboptimal conditions for a quarterback, particularly an offensive line that's near the bottom of the league in pass-blocking efficiency. And up until this year, did not have big explosive receivers to throw to, but now he does. Entering 2016, finally, his starting receiver core in two receiver sets includes a big playmaker. It's no longer T.Y. Hilton, the diminutive playmaker on one side, and Andre Johnson, the big washed plotter on the other side. So this could be a career year for Andrew Luck, and it will absolutely be a career year for Dante Moncrief. I agree that Dante Moncrief has Allen Robinson's 2015 stat line in his range of outcomes. Best case scenario, Dante Moncrief is this year's Allen Robinson. But if we had to pick another player, it's not Doriel Green Beckham, it's Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd is the other choice. If you're standing on a trap door and if you get the answer wrong, you fall through it. The stakes are high. Pick a player who could be this year's Allen Robinson. If Dante Moncrief is off the board, pick Michael Floyd. Because Michael Floyd looks a lot like Dante Moncrief with more experience and a better pedigree. Dante Moncrief, third round pick. Michael Floyd, first round pick. 13th overall. Like Allen Robinson, he's 6'3", 220. Runs a 4'4", 7", a 113.2 height adjusted speed score. Michael Floyd's height adjusted speed score is better than Allen Robinson's and on par with Dante Moncrief. His burst score is also well above average. A big difference between Michael Floyd and Doriel Green Beckham's athleticism is the burst score. That's why Michael Floyd's catch radius is 1009, 65th percentile. But like Dante Moncrief, Michael Floyd lacks 
lateral agility. So in that way, both the Michael Floyd and the Dante Moncrief profiles diverge from the Allen Robinson profiles. There is no Allen Robinson in the NFL. If you had to pick someone that is a doppelganger, a one-for-one clone of Allen Robinson, it would be Des Bryant. But last I checked, Des Bryant already broke out and became a wide receiver one in fantasy, so he doesn't count. We're looking for breakout stars, the next wide receiver ones in fantasy football. Dante Moncrief is a candidate but so is Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd had a better dominator rating than Dante Moncrief, and they both achieved them at big-time programs. Michael Floyd was at Notre Dame when he posted a 39.4%, 76th percentile college dominator. Wow. Wow. That's, that's impressive. So Michael Floyd's college resume and his draft pedigree exceed Dante Moncrief. Michael Floyd was also more efficient than Dante Moncrief last year. Plus 15.7 production premium, was top 20 in the league, and his yards per target, 9.5, was 13th in the league. He was one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league. And he started slow because he broke all of his fingers on one hand during preseason. That's the reason why Michael Floyd started the season with eight receptions in five games. Then after that, he ramped it up 59 yards, 50 yards, 59 yards, 106 yards, 113 yards, 104 yards, 102 yards. I don't normally take into account first versus second half splits, but in the case of Michael Floyd, coming back from having all of his fingers dislocated, which is one of the more painful injuries I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah, I'll look at the splits in that case. In that case, I think it makes sense that having all your fingers dislocated would negatively impact your ability to do your job when your primary job is to catch footballs with your hands and fingers. That's his sole responsibility on the football field, and the fingers are an integral part of that. And that's the body part that was mangled? Whoa. It makes Michael Floyd's 2015 season all the more impressive. And there's an easier narrative to be told for Michael Floyd to ascend to the number one wide receiver chair on Arizona than even Dante Moncrief. Because Dante Moncrief still has to pass T.Y. Hilton, who's 26 years old in his prime and has been Andrew Luck's number one receiver since he entered the league. No one would argue that Dante Moncrief has more rapport with Andrew Luck than T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton has a 1,300-yard season on his resume. Dante Moncrief has never reached 1,000 yards. Michael Floyd, on the other hand, shares a field with John Brown, a player he has more experience than, and Larry Fitzgerald, a wide receiver who will be turning 33 years old, and the team has come out publicly stating they would like Larry Fitzgerald to spend as much time as possible playing in the slot. Well, who's going to be the featured outside receiver in that case? My money's on Michael Floyd. And as the featured outside receiver on the Arizona Cardinals with Carson Palmer at quarterback, with this profile, with prototypical fantasy WR1 size, athleticism, and on-field efficiency, Michael Floyd is just as likely to be this year's Allen Robinson as Dante Moncrief. Now, we do have some breaking news. This breaking news is brought to you by Apex Fantasy Leagues. Apex Fantasy Leagues is the best place to play seasonal fantasy football for money. 
With a skill-based format and industry-leading payouts, Apex ensures the best fantasy players win big. Apex is now offering Dynasty Leagues as well. So go to apexfantasyleagues.com and sign up today. I have an Apex Fantasy Draft coming up soon, and I am looking forward to it. The breaking news is that Anquan Bolden is signing with Detroit. And I don't believe this signing is a big deal because Anquan Bolden will be turning 36 very soon. 36-year-old wide receivers are rarely fantasy relevant, even the war horse Anquan Bolden. But what's working in Anquan Bolden's favor is that he is the Arian Foster of wide receivers. Anquan Bolden has never won on the football field with explosive athleticism. That's not his game. Anquan Bolden wins with nuance, an understanding of how to get leverage on defenders, and strength at the catch point. When you run a 4.72 coming out of college, an 88.728th percentile height adjusted speed score, when that's the starting point of your athletic measurables, your je ne sais quoi factor on the football field must be high. And Anquan Bolden's certainly has been throughout his career, just like Arian Foster. They both run 40s above 4.70. That's slow. But both Arian Foster and Anquan Bolden have been fantasy uber producers for the last decade. And if there was a wide receiver that could produce WR2 numbers in fantasy, you would think it would be Anquan Bolden because he doesn't require vertical explosion or incredible lateral quickness to convert catches on the football field. My only problem with Anquan Bolden is, unlike Arian Foster, who's 29 years old, Anquan Bolden's 35. He's six years older than Arian Foster. If you're staying away from Arian Foster because you think he's too old, washed, injured, then you sure as hell shouldn't be drafting Anquan Bolden. But if Anquan Bolden slips into the later rounds, I will be drafting him because I think there is a chance that Detroit installs him as their starting flanker. And that would kick Golden Tate out to the X receiver position. And that would leave Marvin Jones without a role in two receiver sets. I've heard the theory that Golden Tate operates close to the line of scrimmage and therefore Anquan Bolden is a threat to Golden Tate's role. He's not. Golden Tate is one of the most versatile receivers in the league. He's the electric playmaker that the Detroit coaches want to make sure is on the field at all times. He's even more electric with the ball in his hands than Amir Abdullah. So there is no scenario in which Golden Tate is not running a route. But if Anquan Bolden is in shape and still has the requisite speed to run a route and secure a pass against NFL defenders, why wouldn't he be the starting flanker? And why wouldn't Golden Tate be the starting X receiver? Golden Tate showed during his time in Seattle, he could be an efficient playmaker from the split end position. He could be your go-to big play downfield threat. So why not? The Anquan Bolden signing. But the Anquan Bolden signing does diminish everyone's target share on the offense. It does diminish Golden Tate. We moved him down our rankings. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Golden Tate moved down two slots. Marvin Jones moved down more than five slots because Marvin Jones is more threatened by the presence of Anquan Bolden for the reasons I just outlined. Marvin Jones is not an established elite NFL playmaker like Golden Tate is. So his role as a starter is less entrenched. If I'm the Lions, I'm playing Golden Tate at flanker and Marvin Jones at X in two receiver sets, and I'm only bringing in Anquan Bolden in three receiver sets. That's if it's me. If 
I'm the offensive coordinator. But how many times have we seen NFL coaches give deference to the veteran and play Anquan Bolden in two receiver sets, even though his efficiency last season does not indicates that he's at best deployed as a team's third option in the wide receiver core. Negative 5.9 production premium, negative 4.7% target premium for Anquan Bolden last season, both outside the top 65. His 7.1 yards per target, also outside the top 65. So Anquan Bolden's efficiency in his final season in San Francisco looked a lot like Andre Johnson's efficiency his last season in Houston. And you can check out my rankings, player profiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. So while we must reduce expectations of Golden Tate and Marvin Jones nominally, at the very least, neither one have fallen dramatically in the rankings because there is a high probability that Anquan Bolden's 2016 season will look a lot like Andre Johnson's 2015 season. And as a player that can't separate from defenders, he cannibalizes very few targets from Marvin Jones and Golden Tate. He will also cannibalize some targets from Eric Ebron, but Eric Ebron plays the tight end position. The tight end runs a specific route tree, and his place in the read progression is not going to change based on the presence of Anquan Bolden. So I don't see Anquan Bolden dramatically impacting Eric Ebron's targets, and I don't see him dramatically impacting Theo Riddick's targets. I, see, I hear so much speculation about how because of the zone in which Anquan Bolden typically operates, that he'll cannibalize targets from Eric Ebron or he'll cannibalize targets from Theo Riddick. But Marvin Jones is nothing to worry about because Marvin Jones is a downfield threat. Anquan Bolden operates close to the line of scrimmage. That's a fallacy. A handful of targets that would have been directed to Golden Tate, Eric Ebron, and Theo Riddick will be redirected to Anquan Bolden. That is true. But the player that suffers by far the most is the wide receiver that would have won the number three wide receiver job in Detroit. I believe that would have been TJ Jones. Anquan Bolden ethers TJ Jones. So while Golden Tate has moved down slightly, Marvin Jones has moved down nominally on our rankings, TJ Jones fell 30 slots. There's no reason to spin your wheels about how Anquan Bolden could dramatically impact Ebron or Tate or Riddick. He won't. It's TJ Jones that's going to suffer the most. But most fantasy analysts weren't paying attention to TJ Jones anyway. They may not have even ranked TJ Jones in the first place, so they had to make very little changes to their rankings. But because we rank over 100 wide receivers, we necessarily had to go in and significantly move down both TJ Jones and Jeremy Curley, who are vying for that number three wide receiver job. That's where the presence of Anquan Bolden makes the biggest impact. Those are the players that Anquan Bolden has the biggest impact on. And the generic fantasy analyst that's not even bothering to rank TJ Jones is the same individual who is likely overvaluing between the tackles grinder X. The grinder, the pounder that I've most seen overvalued is Carlos Hyde because I've heard Carlos Hyde has tremendous feet, an elite inside runner. In fact, I saw on Pro Football Focus's Twitter feed, he had the number one elusive rating according to Pro Football Focus, and I found that curious. Because anyone that's familiar with Carlos Hyde's work knows that Carlos Hyde is not particularly agile. He may have nimble feet. That's what I heard about Jeremy Hill last year, that Jeremy Hill's workout metrics were in the bottom percentile, but he has nifty feet. 
He has great football moves, and that makes him elusive despite lacking burst and agility and speed. It's been the same analysis you've heard about Carlos Hyde for the last three years. He and Jeremy Hill are very similar. They're similar in build. They're similar in style. They have similar resumes. So when you think about Carlos Hyde, you do not think this guy is the most elusive running back in the league. It just doesn't pass the sniff test. Most advanced metrics, when you see them, they resonate. Most advanced metrics make intuitive sense. When, you, when I tell you that Julio Jones has an upper percentile burst score, that makes sense. When I tell you Odell Beckham Jr. has an upper percentile agility score, that makes sense. When I tell you Carlos Hyde has the best elusive rating in the National Football League, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. We have a metric on playerprofiler.com that also measures elusiveness. Juke rate, evaded tackles per touch. Carlos Hyde's juke rate is very good. 33.3%, 15th in the NFL last season. That's good, but it's not number one. Deion Lewis was number one by a significant margin because anyone that watched Deion Lewis last year was watching the most elusive back in the NFL by consensus. If I asked a pro football focus analyst without looking at the numbers, who was the most elusive running back in the NFL, he or she would say Deion Lewis, not Carlos Hyde. Our numbers support that too. Pro football focuses do not, and I don't know where they're coming from, and I don't know why there's so much divergence, but there is. So, but there is. And regardless, Carlos Hyde's elusiveness is better than average, and for a grinder between the tackles runner, he has one of the best juke rates in the NFL because Deion Lewis and Carlos Hyde are not in any way similar. They play completely different roles in the offense. Their styles of play are polar opposite. So it's almost not fair to compare Deion Lewis to Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde is absolutely a high-end pounding grinder. He is. But I don't understand the fantasy world's fascination with even the above-average grinders and pounders. I just don't understand it. Sometimes I sit in front of this microphone and I say, I don't understand this. When I kind of do understand it, it's just something we say sometimes. I just don't get it. This is so confusing. In this case, I am genuinely perplexed. How long have we been playing fantasy football? How many times do we have to see these between the tackles pounders fail us? And how many times do we have to see these PPR backs exceed expectations, whether it's Theo Riddick or Charles Sims last year, exceeding expectations, or it's Isaiah Crowell or Jeremy Hill or Eddie Lacy dramatically underperforming, particularly in the efficiency department? How many times? And there is a reason for this, because it's easier in the NFL to be a pass-catching specialist than it is to be a between-the-tackles specialist. There's a much higher bar for the elite performer between the tackles than there is for the elite performer catching the ball in space. Think about Theoretic. Theoretic runs a 4-7-1-40, 13th percentile, and yet he's posted a top 10 production premium on playerprofiler.com, our situation agnostic efficiency metric. Top 10 in consecutive seasons with that 40 time. Because Theo Riddick, time and time again, is being set up for success. And it's much harder to win from behind the line of scrimmage as a pounder, as a one-dimensional grinder. You can do it. You can be Adrian Peterson. You can be Todd Gurley. We've seen it happen. We've seen grinders succeed and become RB1s in fantasy. It's possible. 
but it's a very high bar for elite performers. There's a very low margin for error in that role. The between the tackles runners have to win, have to compile yards and score touchdowns from the most challenging situations behind the line of scrimmage facing four defensive linemen and three linebackers. That's challenging. That's a challenging situation. Meanwhile, someone like Theoretic has the cheat code, a passing down back, has the cheat code on every play. They get to touch the ball out away from the defenders in space. Meanwhile, the grinders have to fight their way through a swarm of ninjas to be productive on any given play. And if you're a cyborg like Adrian Peterson or Todd Gurley, okay, fine, you can do it. It's been done, but it's a lot harder. It's a much harder path. If that's the standard you want to set, Adrian Peterson or Todd Gurley, good luck with that. Because that's the level of talent that you need to have if you want to achieve RB1 status in fantasy as a between-the-tackles player. There are very few big-time fantasy contributors getting there with that method. So why are we investing in them? Why are we investing in a role that requires the player to have Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley level talent to be a difference maker? I don't understand. I don't bother doing it. That's why I don't do it. I say no thank you. Give me the easy way out. I'll take the shortcut every time. I'm not a hero. I'm just clinically rational. I'll let the hero die on the mountainside. I'll take the elevator to the top. It's fine. Give me Charles Sims. Give me Danny Woodhead. Give me Theo Riddick. Give me CJ Procise. You can have Thomas Rawls. You can have Carlos Hyde. See so many of these between the tackles grinders turn in ineffective seasons. Even in dream situations, Jeremy Hill was in the dream situation last season. On an efficient offense with a top 10 run blocking offensive line, Jeremy Hill posted a negative 6.1 production premium, 51st in the league, and his yards per carry 3.6, even worse, 66th in the league, and his yards per touch, even worse, 3.7, 82nd in the league. Awful. But that's the bar we've set for these pounders. Even in the dream situation, Jeremy Hill face-planted and finished outside the top 24 running backs in fantasy football last season. And he was one of the good ones. He drastically outperformed Isaiah Crowell and Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy, while Jeremy Hill underwhelmed in a dream situation, Eddie Lacy was an epic bust in a dream situation last season. Who wouldn't want to be the number one running back for the Green Bay Packers? Well, apparently it wasn't important for Eddie Lacy. Apparently Eddie Lacy didn't want to play that role enough to maintain his strength and conditioning in the offseason. So who would be surprised if Carlos Hyde's fate this year looked like some combination of Jeremy Hill, Isaiah Crowell, and Eddie Lacy? That's the type of back he is. That's the role he plays on offense. That's his destiny. And the only way to break that cycle is to be Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley level good. Yes, Todd Gurley and Adrian Peterson can be RB1s in fantasies without catching a significant number of passes, but it is very hard. That mountain is so hard to climb. And I believe it's impossible for someone with Carlos Hyde's intrinsic traits to climb it because Carlos Hyde isn't particularly fast and he's not particularly explosive. A 46240 is 36th percentile and is 115.7 burst score on playerprofile.com, which combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric, 30th percentile. So 
Well, was he super productive in college? Not really. 24.1% college dominator at Ohio State was 40th percentile. I'm not seeing the signs on the profile that would point to the top of the mountain. I don't think he can make it. And that's intrinsically. That's before we put him on San Francisco who will be competing for the worst offense in the league with the worst offensive line in the league. Put that player in that situation, you do that, that's like asking a between-the-tackles grinder to climb Kilimanjaro, then Everest, and then you know what? That's not quite enough. Why don't you climb Olympus Mons on Mars, which is many times bigger than Everest? I mean, that's the challenge you're putting at Carlos Hyde's feet when you're asking him to be an RB1 in fantasy this season because his 42.6 average draft position implies there are fantasy football drafters who believe that Carlos Hyde has RB1 upside, and I'm telling you, he does not.